Turn with me this morning, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Terry, I'll try not to leave my watch in the pulpit this time. I forgot my watch the last time I was here. Terry very kindly brought it to the Reformation service. Matthew, chapter 7. As you're uh, turning there, I, I just want to mention to all of you, uh, my wife and I really enjoy the fellowship that we have with this congregation. Not just saying that, we've had this conversation. You are a special group of people. So we do enjoy fellowshipping. Unfortunately, after the service today, we have to leave rather immediately. I am going to be driving to Pittsburgh to get my uncle, who's 90, and he and I will be traveling tomorrow as he moves to Oregon, so I have to get out pretty quickly. But we do very much appreciate the privilege of being with all of you, worshiping with you, and fellowshipping with you. Matthew chapter 7. We'll begin reading in verse 1. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And this is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, it's amazing that for any of us that we could come to your throne of grace with these promises. Ask and it will be given. Knock and it will be opened. Seek and you will find. And we know it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with you, Lord Jesus. 
who has prepared the way for there to be a throne of grace that we may come with confidence, that we may find help in time of need. We need you. We need understanding. We need your word to be opened to us. We need you, Holy Spirit, to enlighten our minds and move our hearts. Please do this very thing today as we look to you, our Savior, Lord Jesus, and follow after you. Pray this in your name. Amen. In our house, ever since our current house, ever since we've been living there, now a little over 12 years, we have a plaque hanging on the wall, one of many, just an El Cheapo worth a dollar frame, picture frame with a typed up scripture verse in it, Matthew 7, 12. In fact, I, it, it was hanging on our wall in South Africa when we lived there. Never ceases to amaze me the simple yet profound truth of Matthew 7, 12. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It's a permanent fixture in our house. I wish it was a permanent fixture in my heart. You know how those things go. They're hanging on your wall. They were there for so long, it's, you have a tendency to walk past them and forget about them. But we, we do look at it, and we've so many times pointed our children to it. You know, like when they would have squabbles. But I really do wish it was more firmly ingrained in my heart. Because in this simple truth, you know, Jesus said it, is the law and the prophets. Very much in line with the first and second great commandment that he would give later on in this gospel in Matthew 22. And so I bring this challenge to us this morning. May it be the case that more and more in our lives as those with life in Jesus Christ, that we would seek more and more to treat others the way we want to be treated. And we do so from the Gospel of Matthew in, I'm sure, what many of you recognize from Matthew 5 to 7 is what we know is the Sermon on the Mount, and in a gospel that is about fulfillment, written by a Jew to Jews, but clearly emphasizing in this gospel that the kingdom extends beyond the Jews to all people in the world. You see that with the Great Commission at the end of the gospel. But Matthew is seeking to show Jesus as the fulfillment of all things. And in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it very clear, I haven't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. And as he gives commands, we see that the Old Testament 
is being fulfilled by Jesus, not simply in his perfect obedience to it, however true that is, not in the fact that all the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in him, which they are. He has come to not just fulfill in that sense, but to fill full, if you understand what I mean, to give the law its fuller meaning. And so he'll say things like, well, you've heard, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if a man looks lustfully on a woman, he's committed adultery already with her in his heart. He's showing us the radical nature of God's word and God's obligations and showing us we can't do it perfectly. He says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. But we can't do it. And all the while, he's pointing us to himself as the one who does fulfill everything perfectly. And we eventually come around to Matthew 7 and this glorious truth of the golden rule as Jesus in this these chapters is showing us here is life. Here is the way of life for those who claim to belong to the Lord, which you can't fulfill perfectly, but it is the way of life for those who have life in Jesus Christ and can fulfill it truly. It's not the way of life to get to God. It is the way of life for those who have life in him. It manifests that we have life in Jesus Christ. It shows that we belong to him. And if we're not living this way, that those promises of belonging to him don't apply to us. It's not as though we get to him by our righteousness, but our righteousness manifests what we have in Jesus Christ. And so there is an ethic in these chapters where Jesus is clearly saying, this is how you need to live. This is how you must live. And we'll never do it perfectly, only he has, and there's our hope in Christ. But we can do it truly. And again, our hope to be able to do that is in Jesus Christ. So you have this golden rule. And you'll have some commentators point out, well, this is very unique. Only Christianity has this statement in its positive form. You might, maybe you know this, maybe you don't know. There's a silver rule, there's a bronze rule, there's a diamond rule. The silver rule is the statement of this golden rule in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Commentators will point out many religions have this. Judaism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Hinduism. Only Christianity has it in its positive form. It's not true. Islam has the golden rule in a positive form. But there is something unique about this. 
But first, let me tell you the bronze rule and the diamond rule. Bronze rule is basically, uh, if nobody's doing something to you, don't do it to them. In other words, live and let live. Don't bother them. Or simply, the bronze rule is, mind your own business. And the diamond rule is attempting to take the golden rule to a new height, but it, it doesn't. It just turns it into something very selfish. Do to others what they want you to do for them. Well, that, that's very convenient. There is something unique about this. And that's because it isn't just a moral, ethical statement. It's something that cannot be fulfilled by you. You can't do it apart from Jesus Christ. And that, you know, this was brought home to me in listening to a series by Sinclair Ferguson, Lessons from the Upper Room from Ligonier Ministries, where as he's opening up John 13, I think through 17, he talks about this new commandment Jesus gives. In one sense, not new at all. You remember it? Love one another as I have loved you. And I would contend with you, this is how we understand the golden rule and how it is so unique in the Christian faith. And St. Clair Ferguson starts to talk about the golden rule. He says, you know, in a sense, we ought to reword the golden rule, which states, do to others as you would have them do to you in this way. Do to others what Christ has done for you. And you might say, oh, yes, yes, Jesus is the model. And that's true. You know, John 13, John 15 as well, where Jesus talks about himself as the vine, or, yeah, the vine, and we're the branches, and we're to abide in his love. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so I loved I you. This command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no man shown than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. That you give it all for others as Jesus has given it. And then that helps us to understand this is more. If it was just Jesus giving us an example, we still would be totally hopeless. When we hear, love one another as I have loved you, you see, you cannot love other people. You cannot treat others in love as you want them to treat you unless you have experienced the love of Christ yourself. Unless you realize how you as a miserable, hopeless, unlovable sinner have experienced the love of Christ. who's loved you 
not because of anything in you. He's loved you simply because he's chosen to love you. And as you stand amazed at that, now you can follow his example. To love others as Christ has loved you means that is the very foundation of our love for others before it becomes the example of our love for others. But once it's the foundation, now it can be the example. And, and you know when Jesus says in Matthew 22, when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the first and the second great commandments. And those things have been stated in the Old Testament already. The first commandment stated in Deuteronomy 6.5. The, the second one, Leviticus 19.18. Clearly these are things that, that have been stated. But the newness of this idea of loving others lies in the fact that we can only do it in the love of Christ. And that's what he's getting at here. I believe when he's talking about what the Father gives you, you go to the Father, you ask him, he'll give it to you. You knock, it's opened. You seek, you find. The Father who lovingly gives what you would give your own children. You're not going to Give them a stone if they ask for bread. I'm not going to give them a serpent if they ask for fish. You know how to do that. Your father gives even more. This is the love he shows. And you understanding that now can show this to others. So, in connection with the previous context, Jesus says in verse 12, So, whatever you want others to do to you, do to them. Here's the law and the prophets sum it all up. And not just in its positive form, but also in its negative. Look at how he starts the chapter. By the way, it, you never read in the Bible about the golden rule as far as historians can tell, it's traced back to the third century where a Roman emperor who wasn't uh, Alexander Severus, who wasn't a Christian, but he heard this rule and he loved it so much as an ethic for life, some pure moralism, obviously. He had it engraved in gold and hung in his bedroom. But it's not as though we have the golden rule and other things don't apply, like the silver rule. The positive, it implies the negative. What you don't want others to do to you, don't do to them. Clearly, that's the whole point behind judge not, that you be not judged, which Jesus is not saying never make any judgments. Later on, he says, he talks about dogs and pigs. Well, if, if you're not going to... Uh, uh, Cast your pearls to pigs and give to dogs what is holy. You have to know who the dogs and the pigs are, right? 
But he is saying, don't be judgmental. Don't be hypercritical. When you look at others, we struggle with that, though, don't we? You know, you just take the negative form of this. The positive is even more challenging. But the negative form. Look, do you like it? Is there anybody here who likes it when you get hypercritical treatment? Nobody likes any criticism, but we, yeah, we talk about constructive criticism, right? You might hear somebody say, is there any constructive criticism you have here? And we know that while sometimes that's not pleasant, it's needful when it's true. But nobody likes a critical spirit that so picks everything apart that there doesn't seem to be a way forward. You don't like to be treated that way. I don't. I've experienced some of it recently. I hate it. The tendency in my heart is I want to run around and defend myself to all the people who got talked to. Well, as I recognize that, then I ought not to treat others that way. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. How can you say to your brother, hey, let me help you with that speck of sawdust in your eye? When you have a telephone pole in your own eye, you're stumbling around all over the place. How in the world can you possibly see clearly to help your brother? And Jesus is not saying here that your sin is greater than his in and of itself. He is saying this. Your sin is worse than your brother's. You know why? It's yours. Deal with it. Understand that in the grace of Christ. Now you can help your brother. You who realize how gracious he has been to you. In a Galatians 6.1, you, 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 you catch your brother in a fault. Restore him gently. Or this idea of giving forgiveness because you've been forgiven. Now you can help him. But the positive is there. Imagine how different our lives would be. Even, you know... I, even in the church, and I meant what I said earlier. I love coming to this church. You people are special. And there is, there's something great going on here in the life of this church. Now, you could, maybe some people say, oh, boy, you don't, you don't know us so well. Well, yeah, maybe that's true, but both my wife and I have that sense of how things are going. But imagine how good life would be if you consciously, as 
as believers in Jesus Christ, pursued your relationships with each other, constantly reminding yourself when it comes to thinking about how you would treat somebody, to treat them the way you want to be treated. how radically that would change our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we know how we want to be treated. And we've experienced some of that treatment in a good way, right? Sometimes not in a good way. But we are to focus upon what we know we want For example, if I go to the hospital, how would I want to be treated? Now, granted, there's some subjectivity here that that goes on because not everybody wants the same thing exactly. But in general, this is a principle that would so affect how we minister to others and, and I'm not just talking about our relationships with one another as believers, but with unbelievers. And did you notice that there's no condition placed upon this due to others as you would have them do to you? For example, it does not say, do to others as you would have them do to you if they have done the same types of things for you. As it might come, to, you know, somebody, uh, somebody has a, a baby and they're just getting home from the hospital and a request comes out to, for you to make a meal for them, you know, sign up sheet to make a meal and you say, I'm not going to make a meal for them. You know, when when I gave birth, she didn't make a meal for me. Well, the golden rule says, make it. Even if she didn't. No condition. The golden rule doesn't say, do to others what you would have them do to you, if it's convenient. You go back to John 15, and hear Jesus say, love one another as I have loved you. Here's the greatest form of love, that a man lays down his life for his friends, which is more than dying for somebody, taking a bullet for them. I'll take a bullet for him. Will you lay aside your interests, your life, and the busyness of it? and willingly be inconvenienced for others. Oh, I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be in that position. I feel like it's, it's never true, but I feel this way sometimes. I got no more to give. You know, please don't, please don't ask me to reach into somebody else's life. I can't do this. When we love others, at times, we have to lay aside our interests and be inconvenienced. The Lord knows, 
and the Lord will bless us. Notice as well that the golden rule doesn't say, do to others what you would have them do to you if they're likable. There are certain people in your life, maybe they're here, don't tell me their names. Maybe in your family, maybe at work. I got a few of those. Aren't very likable. And the thought of doing, going out of my way to do something for that person isn't real, a, really a pleasant thought, is it? Here is where the key comes back to help us. I got news for you. I got news for me. We're all unlikable. And Jesus loved us in spite of that. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. You see, this can't be done apart from him. And so that's the whole point. And I'll, I'll close with this of Jesus in, in Luke 10 when a lawyer comes to him and says, yeah, Master, what do I need to do to get a, a eternal life? He says, what does the law say? He says, oh, well, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. And then the lawyer tries to catch him up. Remember, who is my neighbor? And do you remember how Jesus responds? With the parable of the Good Samaritan. You have this guy going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it implies he's a Jewish man, and robbers jump upon him, and, and literally that road, that, that meandering, winding road was known as the way of blood, and people would often get robbed there. And in this story, in the parable, the man gets robbed, stripped of everything, including his clothes as far as we can tell and beaten up and left to die on the side of the road. A priest comes along. He doesn't stop to help. Levi comes along. He doesn't stop to help. You think about it after all. Well, yeah, maybe this guy's faking it. And maybe he's going to jump me. And maybe the robbers are still around here somewhere. This is dangerous. Or maybe this guy's dead. and it, it, I don't want to become unclean by t touching a corpse. Whatever reason. You know, I, you know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to help this? And, and you have all these situations, and, and I'm sure you've heard of them, where people see a crime occurring and nobody jumps in to help. What am I going to do? This, this is too hard for me. 
And then a Samaritan comes, a mixed Jew, and the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. And he stops to help him. He takes care of his wounds and takes him to the inn. And he pays for him to be looked after. He understood what it was to love his neighbor. He understood what it meant to do to others as he would have them do to him, unlikable as that Jew was. And then Jesus asked the lawyer, so which one's the neighbor, the one who showed mercy? And isn't it something in in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Shall we live by the golden rule? You betcha. In Christ. Let's pray.